Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession today is Proverbs 28, verse 27. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. What do you think of when you see a poor person or a poor family in need? Your thoughts, your words, and your actions are important. God sees all three. The main reason you may not be poor is God's kind mercy in your life. Therefore, your humility in showing mercy to those in need who not as much as you do may be one way of communicating true Christian love to them. God operates above accounting rules, budgets, and economic models. It is a rule of biblical, uh, it is a rule of biblical economics that you can get farther and faster ahead financially by what may seem like throwing your money away. The rule is so powerful that a goal of working hard should be to have money to give away. Ephesians 4 says, Let the thief no longer steal, but what leather, rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Christian charity for the deserving poor should be for life's necessities, food, clothing, shelter, and emergency medical treatment. Remember the example of the Good Samaritan. And in James 4 we read, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving the things that are needed for the body, what good is that? Toys for tots might be nice, but that's not biblical mercy. Matthew Henry connects that our eyes are coupled to our hearts, so that when we are hiding our eyes from the poor, putting on our blinders, not letting ourselves mingle among the less fortunate, then we, as this proverb says, will get many a curse. Sad is the condition of that man who has the word of God and the prayers of the poor against him. This reminds us of our own need to confess our sins. Please kneel where you are if you're willing and able. Our Heavenly Father, Every one of our senses, our faculties, and affections are a snare to us. We can barely open our eyes, but we envy those above us, or we despise those beneath us. In our natures, we covet the honor and riches of the mighty and are proud and unmerciful to the rags of others. If we behold beauty, it's a temptation to us to lust. If we see an abnormality, it stirs up disdain. If we are attractive, it's fuel for our pride. If we're lacking, it's an occasion for discontent or fretting. If we are gifted, we yearn for applause. If we're unlearned, we feel sorry for ourselves. While we are keenly aware of our natural human state, please keep ever before us the comfort of the heavenly title that you have kindly bestowed on us as your adopted children and the grace which you provide to deal with our every sin. Please bring to mind our personal sins that we might confess unto you now.
before we go to the word, let's pray once more. Our gracious Father, we thank you so much for Christ. Thank you for shedding his blood on the cross so that we could be reconciled to you and that the world would be crucified to us. We thank you for your scriptures, the clarity and the perspicuity of your word, how uh, your spirit enlightens our hearts as we read and you open up uh, almost endless and infinite truths from your word. And we thank you for speaking so. Please bless this time and may the thoughts of our hearts, the words of our mouth be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, all scripture is given by God, God breathed and useful so that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. If you turn in your Bible to Romans 14, Romans chapter 14, I'm going to read the entire passage and then I want to walk through it in a way that... uh, We can apply these truths to our lives today. I'll be reading from the uh, New American Standard, the Bible of the Reformed Faith. That's not true. Y'all probably have ESV, right? How many ESVs do we have? Yeah, okay. Romans 14, beginning in verse 1. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another, Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. And he who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat. And give thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, as it is written. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore... Let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you're no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things that make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean. 
but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, you have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. The very word of our Lord. So in your Bible, you might have a heading above this chapter, something like uh, the Christian and matters of conscience or the Christian and debatable issues, something to that effect. And, you know, as, as believers in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, I assume, for good reason, that we're all on the same path. We're all pursuing righteousness. We've been justified by Christ. We've been baptized. We demonstrate who we are by baptism, participation in the body, local church, the Lord's Supper, and all of these things as we grow in holiness. <clears throat> and God has been gracious to give us a clear roadmap. Areas that are most definitely to be repented of, beyond any question. Um, maybe we can use one example, the list of wickedness that Paul says will exclude someone from the kingdom if they are continued in. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10, Don't be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, or drink, drunkards or revilers or swindlers will, will inherit the kingdom of God. That could be construed as hate speech today in Canada, by the way. We still have relative liberty to speak the very words of God. And the point is that these sins, if they are continued in, they are markers, character traits of someone who is not united to Jesus. They give evidence that you're not really a believer in Christ. So those are, those are not something that we would hold up and debate. Well, yeah, I guess you could be a Christian adulterer or a Christian idolater or, you know, God forbid, any of these other wickednesses. But through church history, there have always been areas that are not specifically legislated against in God's word, not particularly pointed out, maybe in principle, but they're not as clear as some other. And the, the word is adiophora. There'll be a test following, so I'll ask you, what is adiaphora? You can maybe spell it. I think it's A-D-I-A-P-H-O-R-A. Adiaphora. And it's not something that's not important, but they're not specifically mandated against or in favor of from the Bible. In other words, it's not sin. Now, a little background in the Roman church, there were... In the congregation, both Gentiles and Jews occupying the same pew. They had pews. And one of the issues from, from what we know from the Gospel of Romans is that Paul doesn't want there to be a Gentile church and a Jewish church. No, there's one church, one body of Christ, and you have to learn to live together. <clears throat> so keep in mind, these the Jews that were in the church of Rome had grown up with all of the prescriptions from the Jewish law, especially regarding the cleanliness parts of the law, such as fabric, food. They didn't consider pork to be food, so you, it's unclean for them. Shellfish. I mean, you could have a surf and turf supper that just rocks, and it's forbidden. But now in the New Covenant, Jesus has declared all foods clean. But can you imagine growing up in this culture for generations 
ham, off limits, sausage, bacon, not a part of your diet. And all of a sudden there's this church and Paul and the new covenant and all foods are clean. It would just freak you out. Just recently in Dearborn, a Muslim man sued a little Caesar's over non-halal or unclean pepperoni. I specifically asked for the beef pepperoni. It still happens. And that's something we could be sensitive to as well. Muslim converts and cleanliness and food, right? And one of these things is, is much to be desired, and that is to not give offense and to do whatever it takes to provide unity in a local church, right? And the question is one of Christian unity in light of these non-essential issues. Because we're believers in the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Turn from your sin. Turn from your idols. Trust Christ alone. Repent of your wickedness. That's the gospel. If Jesus is your savior, you'll never be disappointed in that department. He's a perfect savior. Hebrews 7 says he always lives to make intercession for those who draw near in faith. He's the Lord. That's, a, that's the gospel. And so these questionable issues are kind of periphery. They're on the side. And here's where legalism can rear its ugly head. There are categories in the Bible that we just heard a couple. One who is weak in the faith, the other is stronger in the faith. And there's a form of legalism that I, I think we're probably familiar with. Uh, usually we, we talk about the topic of legalism in three different ways. One is keeping the law for its own sake. Uh, that, that could have been part of the first century experience of Jews. The other is keeping the law in order to be justified. That's what Paul was dealing with in, in the churches of Galatia. And I think somewhat here as well. But then there's this third kind of legalism that seeks to add to God's law that which God has not prohibited. It seeks to bind the consciences of, of men where God's word has not bound. I'm, I've been married for almost 34 years I am bound to one woman, and praise God for that. He's been very, very kind to me in the wife department. So that's, that's an issue of, okay, no compromise, no looking to the left or to the right. My conscience is bound by God's word. What about other areas? What about Ham near a mosque or something of this nature? I'm going to try to bring some application even to those of us who are a little more free in these areas. So it's critical that legalism is also not seen, the other side of the coin, as simply obeying the Bible. I used to be in Christian rock bands, and I had a lot of younger people uh, in the circles we were running with who had grown up in a pretty legalistic church. Um, it was called the Faith Assembly. There were some articles written about it. Um, anyway, it was really tight, really closed in. And so when second and third generation kids would grow up in this church and recognize, oh, that's not in the Bible. Those prohibitions weren't there. Well, they use that kind of as an excuse for license. And so any admonition from Scripture is now seen as, oh, that's legalistic. Well, we're not talking about that. Again, there are clear, defined boundaries in which we're, our behavior is circumscribed. And, and liberty, true Christian liberty is never, ever an excuse to sin. In fact, our liberty is intended by God to glorify God 
and to enjoy him forever. In fact, in Galatians 5.1, you were called to freedom, brethren, only don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Remember, the New Testament's emphasis is always on be like-minded, don't let there be divisions or divisiveness among you, be united under Christ, right, one body. So again, this passage was written in a specifically historical context. How do we look at it in our day today? Here it is, 2017, we're almost halfway through the year. What are some of the things that we may deal with as being debatable issues? For the first century Jew, it would have been areas of food and, and clothing. For the first century Gentile, the same thing as we, we see in 1 Corinthians 8. It could have been issues of meat that was sacrificed to an idol. Did you ever hear uh, it was Chuck Swindoll's uh, sermon from 1 Corinthians 8? He says, you're, you're at a meal and you're convinced nothing's unclean and you've saved up your appetite for this wonderful feast at a brother's house. And out comes this roast beef of some sort. And the young Christian next to you gives you an elbow and says, oh, by the way, that was sacrificed in the temple of Diana. And you're left with a choice. I'm free to eat, but he's, he's not. To him, it would be idolatry. And Chuck Swindoll says, excuse me, pass the grapes. <laughs> so you put your liberty aside for the sake of the brother. So what are some of these things? Well, when I was growing up, it would have been um, it was like one word, but it was two practices. Smoking and drinking was just one word. These are forbidden. The old saying, I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with those who do. Um, also, we had the Christian card games in our house. Old Maid and Rook. We did not have a deck of cards until 1976. So, <clears throat> Something about the dead king or the joker, I'm not sure. Um, listening to what kind of music would have been forbidden? Anyone? Come on. Rock and roll. That's right. That's the devil's music. Okay. It must be the, it's something about the backbeat. They did studies on rats that showed that rats ate more cheese if there was a backbeat. I don't know. Um, mixed bathing, caffeine, and the church down the road can't drink coffee. Now, those are all from my generation, and we kind of laugh, right? It's kind, of, it's kind of silly. You think, okay, right there is something that would have been forbidden in my household. Here it is as worship. What, what changed? Well, God's word didn't change. What about our day? What are some of the, some of the things that we like to fill in the chinks in the, in, in the cabin wall of God's law? You know, God didn't quite address this. Um... What about reading C.S. Lewis and Tolkien? Have you ever heard this one? I mean, there's wizards and magicians, right? So God forbids magic and peep and mutter idols. So we can't, we can't have C.S. Lewis. Forget about Harry Potter. That's just off the, off the list automatically. Um, maybe buying something that others think is a waste of money. A Wii? Really? You're going to spend? You couldn't have given that to the mission fund? You bought a Wii? Wow. Yoga. Oh, wow. Don't get me started there. What about this one? What about sending, sending one's children to public school? Listen, I, I know where we're at, right? 
I know folks who have told me to my face that homeschooling is morally wrong for Christians to do. And they have a long list, syllogism, that all adds up, kind of having to do with evangelizing kids and that kind of thing. It all makes sense to them. And they're convinced in their mind that for us to homeschool our kids from K through 12 was just the worst thing we could have done. Now, if you've met my children, you'd go, okay, maybe proof is in the pudding here. But see, every one of these issues behind it has a wonderful, airtight, ironclad, logical reasoning that ends up at the conclusion of don't read Lord of the Rings or don't drink any alcohol. They're all, they all make sense to that person's mind. And I don't think that is all that different from the situation in first century Rome. To the Jew dealing with these food issues, you've got extended family that are going to be offended if they know you eat ham. So, let's cover what, what we're really talking about, how we can, if we're guilty of some of this stuff. And again, God's word is the final standard, it's the court of arbitration Our traditions have to be judged in light of Scripture. So a weaker brother, I'm going to define it in three different ways. Number one, a weaker brother is your brother. He is truly a believer. Paul goes to great pains to emphasize this here in Romans 14. In verse 3, it says, God has accepted him. God doesn't accept people that aren't believers. Verse 15, do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. So there's a, again, if you believe in particular redemption, Christ died for this weaker brother. Or why do you regard your brother with contempt? So it's not a matter of this guy not being truly united to Jesus. He is. Number two, he is a brother who is weak in the faith. He's not mature. So in contrast with the stronger brother, the weaker brother is still thinking in terms of, you know, that Colossians 3, do not handle, or Colossians 2, do not handle, do not touch, you know, that kind of thinking. And he usually defines his righteousness in negative terms. Well, at least I stopped A, B, or C. I I was talking with a friend of a friend who was ready to die of cancer and I said where do you stand with Christ and he said well at least I stopped drinking beer I'm like wow I don't know that doesn't tell me all that much you know so a weaker brother is a brother he is not a mature Christian and number three he has genuine issues of conscience when it comes to these practices in other words he may not participate in certain things without sinning if he does participate. That's what verse 23 means. He who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. And his conscience is clear about this. He can't participate. Back up to verse 6. He who observes it, observes it for the Lord. He who eats does so for the Lord. And he who eats not... For the Lord he does not eat. And he gives thanks to God at this all at the same time. So there are these genuine weaker brothers. It was, oh golly, let me think. Just over 30 years ago that Christ got a hold of me. There were areas 
30 years ago that I had real conscience issues, one of them would have been alcohol, can't touch it, right? That were true for me. And if I would have participated, I would think I would, think I would be sinning, sinning against my own conscience. And then according to the scripture, that actually becomes sin for the genuine weaker brother. Now, there's another kind of weaker brother that we need to avoid at all costs. This is what we call the professional weaker brother. He's like the church police. The professional weaker brother is one who uses his weakness as his strength. And the purpose of Paul's writing about the weaker brother was so that the church would learn to edify each other and build each other up in maturity. But the professional weaker brother has made his own immaturity the standard for other Christians. So instead of allowing others to, you know, become convinced of these things in their own mind, to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. The professional weaker brother attempts to legislate his spirituality and make a long list of these acceptable and unacceptable items. It's, it's kind of what happened in the late 19th century in the holiness movement. Why couldn't you play the piano? Because the piano is found in saloons, and saloons is where all the gambling and prostitution took place. There was a connection. Did you know that was pianos in a church? That would have been scandalous for some people. Now, going back to the Middle Ages, the organ as music, that was because the Catholics had it. So, hey, for a while that might have made sense, you know. <clears throat> what about the guitar, the acoustic guitar in a church worship service? You know, that came from the hippies. You know, Southern California, Calvary Chapel, people getting baptized as the surf rolled in. And you got some long-haired hippie in sandals playing worship songs. And to a lot of people, that was just no, no, because the guitar is part of the folk movement and they did drugs. And so you can't have a guitar in your sanctuary. All of these connections are there for the professional weaker brother to take and say, see, there it is. Youth group played euchre. I, I'm worried. Listen, C.S. Lewis writes this. I just said we can't read C.S. Lewis. No. This is in Mere Christianity. He says, One of the marks of a certain type of bad man is that he cannot give up a thing himself without wanting everyone else to give it up. This is not the Christian way. An individual Christian may see fit to give up all sorts of things for all sorts of reasons marriage or meat or beer or the cinema but the moment he starts saying that the things are bad in themselves or looking down his nose at other people who do them he has taken the wrong turning now isn't that just typical British understatement yes he's taken the wrong turning and he's attempting to bind people's consciences where God has not done so so what is a, what is a true stronger brother We've talked about the weaker brother, a genuine one. Talk about the professional weaker brother. He's not really weak in his conscience. A stronger brother is, of course, also a brother. He's a believer who is able to participate with a clean conscience to a much greater degree than the weaker brother is. <clears throat> with Paul, he can say, I know and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in, it, in itself. That's a pretty strong emphasis. I'm convinced in Christ that nothing by itself is unclean. 
He's also not one who constantly pushes the envelope to see how close he can get without sinning. That, that is a mark of maturity, is to, is to know your own limits. Number two, a stronger brother is a mature Christian, by, by definition. He has, as Hebrews 5 says, he's trained himself to distinguish between good and bad by constant use of the word of God. He understands the big picture. He has a healthy and a wise understanding of how to apply the, the word of God and how to fight sin. And number three, I believe he has a greater responsibility in the church. As, as the more mature brother, his example is going to be paid attention to more by more people in the fellowship. You know, if he was exercising this liberty in front of somebody with a weaker conscience... That person may be tempted to say, well, it's okay for him, so it must, it must be okay for me, just without thinking through the issues. In addition, he's able to not participate in certain events for the sake of the weaker brother. That's where it gets difficult for us, I think, sometimes. I know it does for me. In fact, Paul says in verse 1, except the one who is weak in the faith. So I think the question then for us is how do we manage the differences in the church between brothers and sisters that are related to one another through Christ, but also these matters are adiaphora, they're not clear. So it's a given, there is one body of Christ, there are not multiple bodies. It bothers me sometimes when people have a... a a, um, a, a cultural, culturally appropriated church group. Well, we're kind of reaching out to bikers, or we're, we're reaching the uh, millennials or whatever. That's not the picture of the church in the New Testament. I see a lot of different ages here, 6 to 60, maybe beyond, and below. So it's a given that there are going to be differences as well. I, I can't imagine... If someone came to Trinity Evangelical and they were still all in public school, I can't imagine people being so unwise as to jump down their throat immediately on that issue. I mean, did we, did we all arrive at the same place at the same time? Or are we like Christian and Pilgrim's Progress where you're on a different part of the road? Sometimes it takes time. You have to be patient and sensitive to their consciences. So the issue isn't to just cut people off and silence them or God forbid excommunicate over debatable issues so I think we have, we have three things that we can apply here that really help us to continue to work and live together even when there are differences because there, there are going to be differences number one absolutely mutual patience and forbearance verse three the one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat that would be me, the participating mature. I'm not to hold in contempt somebody who's genuinely weaker in conscience. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. That would have been me in the first few months of my Christianity. For God has accepted both in his body. Paul makes it clear, you are both on the same path. You're both headed to the celestial city, as it were. You're both serving the same God. Verse 4, to his own master he stands or falls. 
And both are ultimately accountable to God. Both parties must exercise self-control, forbearance. It's a great old word. We don't use it that much. Restraint and tolerance towards the other person. I'll be honest. It's, it's easy for guys like me who grew up in this kind of pietistic, don't handle, don't touch worldview. It's easy for me to be frustrated with some people. You know, this isn't the 19th century. You're not Madam Grundy, the official dispenser of disapproval. You know, who do you think you are? But I have to think of others first. This is, this is what Paul's telling us. Be others-centered. Since Christ has been so merciful to you, can't you be merciful to someone else and just be cool for a while? Don't freak out on these adiaphora. Kids, remember what that word means. It's on the finals. What does he say in verse 20? Look, do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. Yeah, all things are clean, but they're evil for the man who eats and gives offense. In other words, if a genuine weaker brother is distressed by something that I'm participating in, or is he worse, enticed to participate himself when his conscience isn't clear, then I'm the one guilty. Me, the, so, the supposedly mature brother with more liberty, now I'm guilty of enticing this guy into sin. That, that is far, far infinitely worse than me exercising my liberty. I've had to make the choice a couple times, and it's, I'll be honest, it's, it's harder than you think. You know, you're at, you're at your own house, your own kid's graduation, your own cooler with your own IPAs, and there's a guy who's on AA coming up the driveway. What do I do? I have, I have choice. Now listen, the genuine weaker brother is someone who has such sensitivities in these matters. We know they're not right or wrong. Paul says in Corinthians, there are no real idols. Eat the meat, have the sandwich, you know. Eat the cookie, whatever. But... To those brothers, we are to be also sensitive and conscious of how we act and speak around them. Our goal is not to leave them uninformed. I think there's a, there's a principle in the Bible that we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't want to leave an immature brother in that immature state. But Paul's dealing with the here and now, isn't he? In this chapter, he says, for this congregation, forbearance, patience, once you just think of others. All right, number two, mutual compromise. Now listen, I know we don't like that word compromise. I don't. I don't like that word. It usually entails something of giving up something that's objectively true. I don't mean that. Both parties must remember, verse 17, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and the joy in the Holy Spirit. So in other words, for the stronger brother, he must not insist on exercising his Christian liberty without thought for the other person. And the weaker brother must not insist on determining what everybody else has to do. The question is, is it, kill, is it going to kill you to not dot, 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 fill in the blank? Is this is this just going to upset the entire trajectory of your life if you don't have a beer right now? No. And the other side of the coin, for the weaker brother, 
Are you going to sin if that person, really, just because you don't like it? See, both, both sides have to think in terms of, okay, there are rights and there are obligations that we have under Christ. And one word of caution, um, don't compromise with the professional weaker brother. That's, Paul was pretty emphatic in Galatians. We did not give in for one minute to those who were seeking out our liberty in Christ. So the, he understood there was a difference there. <clears throat> he reserves the strongest language for those. All right, so mutual patience, number one. Mutual compromise, number two. And then number three, that's going to lead to mutual edification. Look what he says in, in verse 19. Let us pursue those things that make for peace and the building up of one another. That's really the key, isn't it? You know, I'm going to be, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, entering into a church culture that's a lot different than the CREC. I know. I know this is probably my future. And what I'm telling you is what I'm telling me. Don't major on minors, you know. Major on the gospel. Major, major on what is really honoring to God and holiness. And that way you build each other up in love. As he says in verse 7, For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. That's union in Christ. We need to understand that from beginning to end, our life and the lives around us are all interconnected. Paul reminds that the, the Roman uh, Christians, you know, the old song, No Man is an Island. You're not just a little individual out here working out your salvation with gritted teeth. And, and No, you're with all the other Christians. That's why the Lord's Day is so important. It recalibrates us. It, it, it really does edify us in the faith. The world is like an ocean surf that's pounding on your sand 24-7 all the time. 365 days. So we need each other so that that doesn't turn into something else. <clears throat> so some of these things indifferent are the result of years and years of sub-biblical traditions that pile up. I know that. And we can, erat, we can educate and train, but it's so easy, my friends, it's so easy to enact a, a new one-size-fits-all regulation that ends up becoming something that binds the conscience. I know people that want the simple answer, what's the church's policy on dot, dot, dot. One of, one of my good friends, he's now in Indianapolis. I'll never forget, he came up. They'd been at Trinity about two years. Well, just tell me, do we trick-or-treat or not? What's the church's policy on Halloween? I don't know. We didn't, but now we have parties. you got little ones. You figure that out. I don't You know what I mean? It's like, I understand the principles. I get that. But it's not like, what's your church's stance on the end times? You know, Not sure. So, let me just uh, con conclude with this. Let's apply this to real life. Let's, let's take a glass of wine, only it's in a restaurant, okay? Or at someone's house. So if, there, if someone's offering to buy you wine in a restaurant, go ahead and do it in most cases. 
Sometimes you can't. You know your friend who's, you know, newly Christian and still struggling. You may not want to drink in front of them. What about a glass of wine in a gentleman's club? That's a trick question. You can't go there. That would, that would be back in 1 Corinthians 6. A glass of wine in a friend's house. Well, under circumstances, certain circumstances, yeah, you exercise your liberty. Under other ones, don't exercise your liberty for the sake of a genuine weaker brother. Listen, because of the gospel of Christ and the prime importance of true repentance and true justification and sanctification, we need to take these these texts seriously. One of the things Doug Wilson counseled me as I'm thinking about this ministry change, he said, well, you may want to remember you've been in a culture where things that you think are normal will just cause these people to lose their minds. Now, that's pretty wise counsel indeed. But that's still, that, that applies to any of us as we're going about our day, whatever it is. It is easier to make a hard and fast, that's it, no compromise thing. But only when God's law is spoken. Otherwise, we could be guilty as well of binding someone's conscience. That is one of the things that Jesus died on the cross to set us free from. Not that we're free from the law as in an antinomian. Now we're free to really obey Jesus. Only in those areas where Jesus has spoken. Right? I won't not play euchre because somebody's grandma thinks cards are wicked. Unless, of course, that grandma is right in the next room and she's going to play cards and sin. So, we have to be wise in this. And I think the point of Romans 14 is, listen, we're going to be uh, coexisting as a body of Christ, glorifying God under his word and under the authority of Jesus. So let's make sure we major on major issues. And some of these other issues can be worked out in time. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for the precious gifts that you give us. We thank you for the bread and for the wine, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus, broken for us, shed for us. Thank you that you've reconciled yourself to us through Christ and through his blood. Help us never to forget or take any uh, take for granted the, the price paid for our union with Jesus. And help us to live uprightly and, and indeed give, give markers to those around us of what it means to be a Christian. And Lord, finally, teach us to pray just as you taught your disciples. the psalmist expresses a divine covenant or confidence when he writes the Lord will perfect that which concerns me he does not say I have grace enough to perfect that which concerns me my faith is so steady that it will not stagger my love is so warm that it will never grow cold my resolution is so firm that nothing can move it no his dependence is on the Lord alone if we indulge in any confidence which is not grounded on the rock of ages Our confidence is worse than a dream. It will fall upon us and cover us with its ruins to our own sorrow and confusion. It is the Lord who has begun the good work within us. It is he who has carried it on, and it is he, not us, 
who must complete it. If there be but one stitch in the heavenly garment of our righteousness, which we insert ourselves, then we are lost. But this is our confidence. The Lord who began will perfect. He has done it all, must do it all, and will do it all. Our confidence must not be in what we have done or even in what we have resolved to do, but entirely in what the Lord will do. Here at this table, we are reminded of the finished work of Christ. His body beaten and crucified and his shed blood has and will perfect that which concerns us. Our salvation is secured. Our righteous standing before the judge of the earth has been established and our safe passage into the heavenly places guaranteed. So come, dear saints, and receive the perfecting, saving work of Christ on your behalf. Christ's body broken for us. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.